that you saw an undead child in the window? Well, my hair is playing tricks on me, and I 100% thought that there was somebody peeking around the corner. Oh. <gasps> um... and welcome to another episode of Who is My Doctor? Who is my doctor? Who is indeed. I am your host, Zach. I know a lot about Doctor Who. And I'm also your host, Cassie, and I know nothing about Doctor Who. And today we are coming up on our second two-parter, uh, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Wow, wow. Uh, the titles tell me nothing. <laughs> uh, these two are written by... The man who would eventually become the showrunner after Russell T. Davies is done. Uh, they're written by uh, his name is Stephen Moffat. He also wrote uh, BBC's Sherlock. If you saw any of that, okay. Um, there's a few other things he's known for, but I think those are I think his run on Doctor Who and Sherlock are probably the two biggest things. Does he do other like because Moffat is is the that name is very familiar to me, but I can't tell if it's because I recognize it from like seeing it scroll by as like produced by me or it's very possible that that was the last name of a kid I went to summer camp with <laughs> you know it's possible it's hard to say he's he's someone who had a lot of recognition right he got really big basically for a lot of stuff all at the same time not 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 at the exact same time but it felt like he had had like just a few really big hits okay right after the other um, so it, it is possible that I've seen his name floating around on the internet, on the thing that isn't the internet, on TV. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's, it, it's not super important, but I am, uh, the more that I run through my mind palace, the more I realize, indeed, that is the name of somebody I went to summer camp with. The irony of you saying specifically mind palace, which is a thing he made up. Mind palace? Yeah. St Stephen Moffat. Is that's from BBC Sherlock? Mind Palace is from me. It's from the BBC Sherlock that Stephen Moffat wrote. LOL, because I took that from Brennan Lee Mulligan, <laughs> who must have taken that from Sherlock. Yes, uh, it's it's one of those things that entered the into the the zeitgeist in the same way that Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey did. Um, another thing Stephen Moffat wrote actually. Oh, cool. So a lot of the stuff got away you, with words yeah a lot of things you've absorbed through osmosis are directly related to Stephen Moffat cool um, I already like him well uh, but he he did he wrote this two-parter and I will be up front and say at the last at the end of the last episode I had mentioned that I well I really liked Father's Day and I really liked Dalek they weren't my favorite story of this season mm -hmm. uh, or this series whichever one you want because they're called series in, in for some reason and but it, we we know them as seasons this this two-parter is my favorite story of the season. Okay. Uh, there are some people that really like the, the two-part finale more. I see that as valid. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're wrong. I just personally like these. These two feel so tight to me. Uh, and they're such a good idea. And I'm not going to spoil what that idea is. But I'm going to have you guess what that idea is. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> these... I have nothing. Well... You've got the term the empty child. I, I'm an empty child. That doesn't help me. Well, what, just, well, this is what the guessing game is. This is what the Cassie Profassi is all about. Oh my God. Uh, roll, roll your bones, look into your seeing stones. Uh, and why don't you tell, what, just try and guess at what the, the whole thing for the empty child might be. Is it a person? Yes, it is that? a person. I will, I will give, I'll tell you it is a person. Okay. So it is a person. It is not the Dr. Rose. I think that's fair to say. Okay. That, cause that was going to be my, my guess since, but since the last episode was very Rose centric, it would feel weird for this one to still be Rose centric. Man, I don't know. <laughs> if I had to take a wild guess, which this is all that these profassies are at this point are wild guesses. Uh, for the record, I have gotten... 8 out of 16 correct and I think that these are going to be the ones that just tank it. This is <laughs> this is where that streak well, ends. Well, it is a two-parter, so even if you get these two wrong, you'll get two more later on. 
I'll get those wrong too, though. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get? How about how about any I... kind of hint? Uh, I will tell you. I will tell you that on in this episode they are still on Earth. Um, in fact, one one thing that kind of frustrates me about this whole season is that they never get further from the Earth than a satellite. Nah. <laughs> like it's a it's a real miss oper- it's a real miss that this guy that this character that travels through time and space only travels a little bit into space for this whole season only stays within the earth's orbit yes <laughs> um but i will tell you they are still on earth you should at least trim off the infinite possibilities down to just a little bit the empty child um and if you get near it, I'm still going to count it because it is a, it is a very uh, open ended thing. Yes, because the thumbnail for this does have Rose and somebody else holding each other in front of uh, the Big Ben clock, <laughs> which is very Peter Pan. So based off of that, I'm going to say that the empty child is has some kind of Peter Pan mentality. Some kind of Peter Pan mentality. It's just like a a boy that never grew up. Okay. All right, so a boy that a boy that never grew up. So you're thinking like a whimsical kind of child. Not even not like some because Peter Pan is technically a fae. Yeah, that's what I guess that's what I mean when I say whimsical. Like he was a human, but you know, over the century or nah, not centuries, maybe decades of of being in Neverland has become a fae himself. So I don't think that this has anything to do with fae. That would be very odd, I think, for Doctor Who to dip into folklore in that capacity. <laughs> yeah, it would be a little weird for this. I mean, it is a science fantasy show, but it's not that kind of fantasy. No. Extending from that, I would say that the empty child is somebody who is immortal, doesn't age. Okay. So you think someone that's like a perpetual child? Yeah. All right. So how so taking that idea of uh, just taking your personal nugget of the empty child. How do you think a story involving that character could lead into the doctor dances? Just that sentence, the doctor dances. I don't know. <laughs> These titles are so not helpful. <laughs> They're too fancy. So okay, we'll do something else then. Uh, in this in this episode because I do I do think it's a little unfair, especially because if you get that first question wrong, the second question is by default wrong, and that doesn't feel fair. No. Uh, so instead, this episode introduces a new uh, recurring character. Uh-huh. Um, whose name, the his, Empty Child. His name, is, his name is Captain Jack Harkness. And I would like for you to take a wild guess as to what kind of character <laughs> Captain Jack Harkness might be. No. He's a hook. He's a hook. <laughs> You think he's the captain hook to the empty child's Peter Pan? Hey, you know what? Yes, but also no, because I know that that's wrong. Okay. Well, why don't you, I mean, you could take a you could take captain a stab Jack at Jack Harkness. You could take a stab in a totally different direction. Like a spaceship captain? Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you more. I'm not gonna give you any more please, than that. Uh, please. Because if I tell you, it might please, le- it might give a little too much. Please, <laughs> I'm so dense. I'm so dense. <laughs> and I'm sick. <laughs> please. Please give me a little hint just for my self-esteem. Um, please. I will say that he is not of the time period the, the story is set in. I can live with that. Okay. okay. Captain Jack Harkness is another time traveler. Okay. Oh yeah, that was obviously what I just said. So just take a guess as to what like his his deal his deal might if be. If he's a recurring character, Captain Jack Harkness. Because I'm also trying to think about like, is that the name of a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> Captain Jack Hookness. Captain Agatha Harkness. <laughs> he's a witch. He was there all along. It was Captain. Jack Harkness all along. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I I'm only gonna call him a protagonist in the sense that I don't think that he is an enemy of the Doctor okay. or Rose. I think that's fair. So I think he's a a support character okay. in the most like general term that I can okay that I can get away with for this game. 
Okay. Do you want? So we'll say. So he's general support character. Do you want to take a? If you take a further stab and get something right, I will. I may. I might uh, give you an additional point if you would like. Is it that guy? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> okay, that's my guess. <laughs> Your guess is that it's that guy. It's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so she's. What? So you can't see that she's pointing to uh, <laughs> the thumbnail they've put on uh, Max, the streaming service that has Doctor Who on it at the time of recording that's what she's so she's pointing to the screen i don't know if it i don't know if it will still be there when you're listening to this but uh there is a person that rose is sort of like correct not caressing but they're both like are holding each other's arms in front of big ben so uh, some of you already know who that is some of you might know later but for now uh we're gonna find out how uh how right or wrong the cassie profassi is this time as we dig into The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, we'll take a little break in between the episodes just to do a quick check-in. But for the most part, we're going to go straight through this. Uh, so we'll be right back after we finish off The Empty Child. There's nothing there that I can put. There's emptiness. Silence. And we are back from the empty child. Are you my mommy? <laughs> mommy. So, uh, how you feeling so far, Cassie? I fucking hate it. <laughs> Christ almighty, I wasn't expecting this to be a horror episode. Oh, there's a few of them. <laughs> there's a few, there's a few horror episodes for sure. I could not have been more wrong about Peter Pan. Nope, you could not have been more wrong about Peter Pan. God damn. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Empty Child doesn't age because he's dead. <laughs> that is. So <laughs> I think I still get that point. <laughs> um, and Captain Jack Harkness isn't an antagonist. No, I will. I will because g- he is a con man. <laughs> he is a con man. I will also say that while he, while he is not a true ally at the moment he does become one so i'm still gonna give you the point both points yes i'll give you one point both points <laughs> one point both points. empty child is not peter pan empty child is so much worse than peter pan. i just said equals someone who doesn't age that is not what you said i wrote that down bitch well i will also say that's sort of irrelevant because it's only been about a month so he would have only aged a month you can't tell but yeah, so, uh, so let's. I guess, I guess we start off with what do you think about the empty child? Uh, I know you're a little uh, unsettled at the moment, oh <laughs> especially God. the way that it episode ends. Ju- hey, gang! Just for context, it is so dark outside, and we keep some of the windows just kind of open because it's a hassle to open and then close them. And they are so dark, and I am so frightened. <laughs> Yeah, we're recording this fairly late in the day. Uh, it's about nine thirty at night right now, <laughs> so it is it is full full nighttime outside. The only saving grace is that for whatever reason the lights down the hall are still on, so I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> although now every time Monty comes down the hall, you're gonna be, "Are you my mummy, Monty?" <laughs> Monty is one of our cats, just for reference. <laughs> God, he is an empty child too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then how do you feel about uh, Captain Jack Harkness? Uh, I don't know yet. I have mixed feelings because you, both you and um, our our friend and roommate Haley has said, like really amped him up for me. And because you guys did that, I'm predisposed to not like him. Mm. Because anytime somebody amps something up for me like that, I don't like I it. think you had forgotten we amped him up until we were mid-episode, though, because I saw the first few minutes of him, and you were just like, he's so charming. <laughs> no! My exact words were, who the fuck is this guy? I think what you also said that was... That was not, he's so charming. That was, who's this creep? <laughs> well, I, I said... zooming in on Rose's butt! <laughs> no, not, not at that point. I mean, about halfway into it, when you wrote, what was the note you put? A wooga time travel, or a wooga time criminal? That's a note for another time, okay? <laughs> I never said he's so charming. I just said, Awuga time criminal, okay? That's a neat concept. 
It's fair, I suppose. Um, I ain't never heard of a time criminal. <laughs> time con man. Con men are my whole th- deal, dude. Look at every D and D character. Form a time I've, con. Yeah, look at every Dungeons and Dragons character I have ever created. They are all con men. <laughs> yeah, it. Um... <laughs> I just have a thing for charlatans, okay? Jeez. Uh, and then I don't want to. I don't want this to go on for too long. So just the last moment, I really wanted to get your thoughts on because it was the moment that would suck in my head of like what your reaction was going to be was uh, the doctor, uh, not not the doctor, the doctor, but Doctor Constantine uh, transforming uh, when he started saying. <laughs> I mean, you have it on video. <laughs> I do have it on video. Uh, we're probably going to share that video on Insta- on the Instagram page. Uh, I don't know if it'll be before the same day we put this up, but we'll find out. Um, but, uh, do you want to share a more verbal reaction for everyone? I'll set the scene. It is a hospital room filled with wall-to-wall patients all lying in bed with gas masks seemingly adhered to their skin, to their faces, to be more accurate. Everyone is lying down, and every so often, a, a quick, sudden sound will arise them from their beds, to which they promptly lie back down, neither dead nor alive, just kind of there. And when asked how this happens and why they're like this, Dr. Constantine starts coughing and is seemingly dying because that's what he said earlier on. And then he starts opening his mouth very wide as if he were a viper in the Amazon. And what I love is at that moment you asked, where did the gas mask come from? Yeah, I said, how did they get the gas mask? And <laughs> Before you had like fully finished the sentence, you could just see a little glimpse of the gas mask poking through his mouth. It made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't, I did not like any part of that. Uh, But yeah, it's just kind of grows out of their mouths it 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 seemingly appears out of the ether yeah it just it just seems to become their face because it grows like literally out from their skin it pushes forward and becomes their face and what's interesting uh when the at the very end you can see the empty child looking at nancy but there's no eyes behind uh, the lenses of the gas mask. i was gonna ask usually those types of gas masks my understanding is that those gas masks usually have some kind of either darkened lens or like a mirrored lens. So is that is it that there is nothing inside the empty child or is that just? Um, I think it's meant to imply that because typically it's just kind of dark and you can't see through it at all. But in that one shot, I feel like you're meant to see through it and see there is nothing there. Like they okay, are literally so an it, empty it child. It is just the fact that because... The inside of the mask is also not particularly visually striking in any way. It's it's a bit ambiguous then. That is that is my interpretation. Okay. Yes. Glad you sat down for our first horror episode of Doctor Who. There's quite a few of these. I mean, the first one really kicked it off with the fucking mannequins. Yeah. Uh, there's quite a few times where, like, Doctor Who surprisingly lends itself well to horror. TBH, I prefer this over the mannequins. <laughs> Thick, beefy mannequins. You prefer the. You prefer. Are you my mummy? Mummy. The creature that can make all electronics ring with his voice. Oh my god, the monkey! monkey. The monkey. (laughs) It's one of those ones that's like really possessed, cracked out looking with the (laughs) symbols, and he's making it talk, going "Are you my mummy?" as it's going "Ping, ping, ping, ping." Are you my mummy? Yeah. The noise the symbols make all of a sudden. Yikes, Rooney. Do not <laughs> like. I hate those monkeys. If it wasn't Toy Story 3, now it's this. Do you like the empty child more or the monkeys more? I I have a soft spot for monkeys in general. <laughs> so I like the monkey better even though I hate it. <laughs> well, we will see uh, if Because that... the monkey won't hurt me. The monkeys just scare me. <laughs> well, we will see if that... Opinion holds true through the oh second episode. Oh my god, the monkey's gonna come back! <laughs> so you do get a couple more questions because there's another episode still. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think we can lean back into my other question from before now. How do you think this is going to lead into the doctor dances? <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. I think that the doctor... I don't think that this is, like, a metaphor. I, I don't think this is code for anything. I think that the doctor is truly going to have to dance. <laughs> Especially since we did already see Rose and... Uh, Captain Harkness dancing and having a little like intimate moment on top of his spaceship. So there has been something of foreshadowing that this is something that has already happened. So I think that the cure, I suppose, or like the thing that's going to snap the the empty child has to do with the doctor dancing. Okay, so you think the doctor the doctor dancing is the cure for empty child syndrome. Yes, I think that the doctor dancing is the cure for empty child syndrome. Okay. This just feels like an interesting question. You can ballpark this if you want. How many people do you think die by the end of this episode? Two. You think two people die? Two. All right. So her guesses for this for this one are that the doctor dancing is the cure for the empty child and that two people die in this episode or in this story even because no one's died yet. So that is the answer. Two people die and the doctor dancing solves empty child syndrome. We will find out together. We will be right back after these messages. Messages, message, message, just one message. This week's episode of Who Is My Doctor is brought to you by Deep Space. are now back from the doctor dances so what'd you think hmm i was wrong <laughs> you you unfortunately were wrong i was wrong on both accounts because i was a banking on um nancy and jamie being the ones to die yeah but uh instead there is a real big to do and it's one of my favorite moments in christopher eccleson's run when he he seems so genuinely ecstatic when he gets to yell out just this once everybody lives everybody lives rose just this once everybody lives yeah i i had made a note that was where i i had observed i think this is the first time we've seen the doctor genuinely Happy, Yes. Because this is the first time he's been able to save people in a time of war without completely wrecking the space-time continuum. It's also the first episode in the entire season where nobody dies. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I guess some people are dying, like, in the background, because there's obviously the German Blitz going on. Yes. But no one directly interacting with the Doctor in any capacity they, dies. Nobody interacts with Rose and the Doctor and then turns around and is shot or eaten or... Yeah. Or turned into a skin suit for a farting alien. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it, it's more, I mean, it's part of the reason why I like this episode so much. It's like that... It It's so, like, dark and scary, but it doesn't marry itself to that so thoroughly it can't have that ending. And I think that's a really nice touch. If I had to, I'm going to be upfront. If I only have one complaint about this, about this two-parter, and it's primarily in the second half here where, and you were sort of pointing it out that the doctor gets very transparently jealous of Jack Harkness, of -hmm. Captain Jack. And it's, and they seem to be leaning into what a thing that you have kind of feared the, a Dr. Rose romantic relationship. Yeah, I, I, I'm still really holding out for the Doctor and Rose maintaining some kind of, like, father-daughter quality or, like, guardian 
person. Yeah, well, especially because after last episode with Father's Day, yeah, that feels like where they wanted that relationship to go. And then they, then they were like, oh, no, that's not what we meant. We're going to do it this way. Yeah, because as we go through this episode, Captain Jack is not a bad match for Rose. In fact, they do a lot to point out that he does a lot of what Rose wants the doctor to do. Like, the, she, she spends the first bit of it, like, do a scan for alien tech. And he's like, no, I'm just going to ask around. A huge thing for up on this guy. I can just ask. But then Jack's like, easy. I'll do a scan for alien tech. Finally, a professional. Finally, somebody who's listening to me. And he is a little bit of a shit, which I I do have a very soft spot in my heart for shitheads and brats. You call, so you call them brats. I love brats. Not the dolls. I was never allowed to have those because their lips were too big and my mom didn't like them. <laughs> but there there is a part of me that is eager to see this dynamic play out i am looking forward now to seeing the the like final what are we at like three episodes there are three episodes that a christmas special left but the christmas special sort of it depends there i have always thought it starts the next season rather than ends this one but max shows that as the end of this season okay so regardless i i'm eager to see how the rest of this season um plays out with the addition of Captain Jack, because I do feel like Captain Jack is a way more appropriate Adam replacement. Yeah. Like what, what might have been Adam's role and was promptly taken away from him because he's a, a wet bath mat is what I think I called him before. <laughs> so you say the personality of a bath mat. Yes. Yeah. A soggy doorknob. <laughs> soggy doorknob. Captain Jack is not, a soggy doorknob. He's he's oh, more than that. Oh, who put water all over my doorknob? Now I'm gonna feel sticky going inside. Man, now I can't tell if my hands are wet because they're sweaty, or if it was because of my doorknob. <laughs> and yeah, also the doctor is Santa. Look at you beaming away like your father Christmas. Who says I'm not red bicycle when you were twelve? <laughs> is Santa also a time lord? Because that explains it. Uh, there's a Christmas special every year. And one of those will address Santa. So I don't want to go too much into it. <laughs> Fabulous. I feel like the twist in retrospect feels super obvious about uh, Nancy being Jamie's mother. Yeah. It's one of those where it's like, oh, it was well, because she also never addresses her like parents status. Exactly. Like, it's weird that like she never addresses the parent status. She never and she keeps referring to Jamie as her little brother. And, and when you watch it, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I like the doctor even points out that part of the misdirection is also casting. That they casted someone who I don't I don't actually know the actress's real age in this in during filming. But they specifically casted someone who looks like she's just in her teens. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor points out, you actually are older than you look. You're, aren't you? You're like 20 or 21. I mean, to be fair, I went to a school full of girls like that where everybody there was like, oh yeah, I'm 16. But we all looked like we were maybe 10. <laughs> maybe 10. Something in the water over at that school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that they, like part, like part of the twist wasn't just like written. It was also, it also like looped in like other parts of production in a way that you don't you know you don't normally get i think the only time i could ever, i've ever thought of that what i've ever seen it since then was detective pikachu actually where the twist that ryan reynolds is both i'm sorry for i'm sorry this is spoilers for detective pikachu it's several years old but it's fine the reveal that uh, or that ryan reynolds played pikachu but he is also the main character's dad because the main because the main character they've cast as someone who is mixed race they it, you you sort of have this diversion of what you ex of what i think society expects his dad to look like is not ryan reynolds and so there's a nice a nice twist there done in casting that's the only other time immediately that comes to mind where they've done that and also despite me being wrong about the doctor dancing saving all the people because of events on the ship that foreshadowed that we still had events on the ship foreshadowing 
the ultimate like problem solver yes. with the with the nanogens. Yeah. Um, I really, I, it, it's, it is kind of silly looking at it now and realizing that Christopher Eccleston probably thought those nanogenes were coming down a lot sooner than the effects team put them on his hands because he's just looking at his hands for a solid 30 seconds before they show up. I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, it made me laugh a little bit. I, I, this is the first time I caught it. Well, it's because they put all of their fucking effects money into the bone mask faces <laughs> the face just it's like this time we got a different angle on it too we got kind of a front one the first time oh this was God. a side angle we got a profile angle you got to watch one. like the eyes around the skin turn mm. into little eye ports oh so so gross and juicy mm-hmm. loved that <laughs> uh, i really enjoyed at the beginning of it the argument between uh, Captain Jack and the doctor regarding their different sonic devices. <laughs> yeah. That Jack's got a gun. He's like, I've got a, I've got a screwdriver. You I've do. got a sonic something. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. It's sonic. That's all you need to know. Because th- there's something about it, specifically because of the shape of the two items, where it feels like a dick measuring contest. He's like, I've got a gun that can be a cannon. And he's like, I've got a screwdriver. You know, for when you get bored and you just put up cabinet <laughs> and he put a, a long night of building cabinets i think is what he said yeah uh but then he also implies the place where they made so- at least sonic guns if not the whole sonic like line of items uh the doctor blew up that factory and replaced it with a banana grove sonic blaster 51st century weapon factories of villengard you've been to the factories once well they're gone now destroyed main reactor went critical vaporized a lot like i said once there's a banana grove there now. I like bananas. Bananas are good. High in potassium. Yeah, it's a good source of potassium. There is something that really grounds the doctor for me in his affinity for bananas. Yeah. Well, there there really seems to be... I really feel like this is one of those episodes that really understood what Christopher Eccleston's doctor is trying to be. Because he, because he is this character that is so buried in like his personal baggage and the the demons that eat at him that a lot of what he throws up is humor or just asides to try and mask his own feelings well i i think it's very safe to say this doctor is a little bit of a goofball yeah i think a goof is kind of what he wants to be uh like he's like whenever he like he he takes himself serious as the doctor because he's he holds the doctor title as one would if they've been at the same job for several years mm-hmm. where it's kind of like yeah I'm a professional I'm a I'm a professional barista I've been doing this for 4 years I know exactly what I'm doing I know how to do this job inside and out so forgive me if I get a little silly and I don't take my job seriously sometimes because I know in my heart I am the best person here at this particular job. Yeah, it like it's one of those like I'm the cleverest one here and I'm secure enough in that that I don't mind making fun of everyone else. Yeah, the I don't need I don't need to prove to anybody that I am good at what I do because I know I'm good at what I do. I don't need to prove that to anybody. This is just second nature to me. (laughs) Which, you know, to an extent as well, because he's the only Time Lord that we know of, or, Mm -hmm. you know, in the canon of this world, he is the last of the Time Lords. He doesn't really have any other competition. He is the only one of his kind. Therefore, he doesn't need to one-up anybody. And Um, I think that also is why his dynamic with Captain Jack works, because although Captain Jack is not a Time Lord, he is somebody that has the same toys, has, you know, he also has a ship. It's not as sophisticated as the TARDIS, but, you know, it's a ship nonetheless. And uh, they haven't really expressed this yet, but but coincidentally, both their ships are stolen. The Doctor stole his TARDIS and Jack, and Jack Harkness stole his uh, Chula warship, I think is what they call it. I mean, I, I would expect that because we did get further confirmation that Captain Harkness is a crook. Yep. Was sentenced to death, but then somehow talked his way out of his death sentence <laughs> and slept with his executioners, which is the- What a mo- move. Oh my God. 
I love that. <laughs> I knew you were going to like Captain Jack. It wasn't until that moment where I went, fuck, that's good. <laughs> that's some cheeky dungeons and draggering bullshit that I can get behind. <laughs> it's a bunch of nat 20s on charisma checks. Oh my God, I'm persuasion. Yeah. I do feel a little bad that I asked you about the uh, the question I had made was how many people survive, how many people die in this episode? Because there's a part of me that were that feels like everybody lives is such a big high moment for it. And all and all I've got you thinking is, damn it, I was wrong. Do you want to hear something even worse? What's that? My first guess was no one. <laughs> but I went, no, no, because he wouldn't ask the question like that. And our titular characters in this are going to be okay. I know that much. It's going to be the other, like, main characters for this story. There has to be something going on with them. This is a lesson to myself to listen to that first... Trust trust that gut instinct. Yes, despite my gut instinct telling me that I'm dying right now. (laughs) You don't have to put that in. My tummy hurts. But I have a question. Sure. Is uh, Captain Jack Harkness in just this series or does he come back uh he comes back in fact he (gasps) he recently he showed up fairly recently from like from episodes that are coming out now wow Um, wow so he is recurring yeah he's he's really recurring i i feel i I don't necessarily this is sort of a negative subject but if i don't bring it up i feel someone else is going to so john barrowman has and I say, and I want to be careful about how I phrase this. He has a nasty habit of wh- of whipping his dick out. Now he doesn't. You don't he, say. He not sorry. John Barrowman is the character is the actor that plays Captain Jack Harkness. Um, but the way I've heard it, it is not like a Louis a Louis C.K. way where he's doing it to like jerk off or do something sexual intrinsically to the women. He seems to be doing it in the sense that he thinks it's funny. And I feel like you were you were a theater major. You know there are men that are just kind of like that. I <laughs> in theater. I will. That's uh, that's not even a theater thing. That's an actor thing. Yeah, that's because a a fun quirk about actors is that we and I I will cons- I'll throw myself into that pool because I was one for many years. As actors, we have no shame about our body parts or who sees them. Yeah. So. So for me. If I show you my butt, it's not a, whoa, that's really inappropriate. You're mooning me. Yeah. I'm I'm mooning people. That's, ooh, that's nasty. It's a casual part of, so what? It is a, it, it is human anatomy. Yeah. You, I don't care, therefore you shouldn't care. Even though, like, that's super not the case for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of religions. Yeah, there's a, there's a future cast member, uh, her name is Free, Freema Adjiman, who specifically... Uh, brought up that it made her uncomfortable on set. I don't. So I, I'm I, as I'm saying, it's a common like actor theater thing. I don't want that to sound like I'm excusing it. I just wanted no. to be clear that it's not. He's not like assaulting people. He's just being kind of inappropriate on set. It, it's it is a level of comfort. Yes. Uh, so I'm I I say that just I only bring it up because I feel like if I didn't, people other people would want me to bring it up. I would also like to. Uh, um, put some insurance for myself as well. I know that all actors aren't the same. It's just a majority are. There's a vibe to them. <laughs> there is definitely an energy. I have met people at at my work um, since I'm effectively a server. I've met quite the number of people where I can tell immediately that they are theater people and then i go hey did you do theater in high school and they go oh my god how did you know and i go hmm it's because i'm so smart yeah john barrowman very much uh strikes me as one of those people that never stopped being like his early theater self so i'm not saying that people have to like him i'm not saying i'm not excusing any actions that make people uncomfortable but i at the very least i wanted to just just say it so no one else so it didn't so it didn't make him a thing and um, you can be the outlier theater person that doesn't like showing people your body parts. That's fine, too. Yeah. There's there's no hate, no disrespect. Everybody has their boundaries. Some people's boundaries are just way more transparent than others. Yeah. Um, pivoting to another point real quick. Yeah. Uh, they So they very clearly make 
dancing, like the term, like Jack dances, the doctor dances, human beings dance with it. Like they're very clearly using it as a stand in for fucks. It starts out as dancing and then the doctor makes it about fucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, which has two really funny moments for me. Uh, one in particular when Rose is like, You got the moves? Show me your moves. Rose, I'm, uh, I'm trying to resonate concrete. It feels so much like, not tonight, I have a headache. <laughs> uh, but then the other thing is, like, when you take that metaphor, it means that the title of this episode is The Doctor Fucks. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> It's also, I think they were partly doing it to reestablish the character because the doctor in the classic series was generally speaking kind of asexual. I mean, I I would say that I feel like I still get a little bit of that vibe. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's like, Rose, I'm over 900 years old. I know how to dance. Yeah. Which also means that he's 900 years old, but he wasn't having any kind of dance partner for a majority of that 900 years. Yeah. I mean, he's he's had companions of the whole thing, but well, generally yes. speaking, he's also been mostly played by slightly older actors. Like Christopher Eccleston is pretty commonly what most is. I mean, I don't want to say that they're all late 30s, but I feel like most of them were uh, the the first doctor was an was an old man. <laughs> he was a nearing retirement William Hartnell. Um. And part of the reason why we have multiple doctors is because he got too old and sick to keep playing the role. So when they, when the show first started and the first doctor was dead or dying. I mean, he, uh, so he ran for two, two full seasons Mm -hmm. and he ran for most of a season three, but he was getting very ill. Okay. Um, so he, he needed to take a lot of breaks off set to like rest and so production was taking longer, and so they knew they had to replace him because he was very old. They, they, uh, imaginarium of Dr. Panarsis's him. <laughs> uh, in a, I guess in a sense you could say that he did that, yeah. Because the only reason that movie ended up the way that it did is because Heath Ledger had died. Yeah, no, the... And it was more interesting for every iteration of him to be played by a different actor i will say william hartnell survived after his show he was just well, yeah but um, it's it's that idea of like mm-hmm. you can then create a character especially in a show's in a show's infancy like that that has a habit of being recast and changing their shape yeah yeah the very last bill hartnell story he's not in it for a lot of it that's part of the tension is the doctor seems to have disappeared and they don't know what they're gonna do um but yeah, he survives long enough to show up for the first. Um, uh, I'm not, that's a spoiler, but he he survives long enough to show up later on in his career. Okay. Um, the, I also think part of why the doctor was a little asexual is that he's generally kind of a weird old man. And especially at this point in the series, I mean, he's generally kind of a weird old man with a relatively normal 20 something partner. And by p- partner, I mean like work companion. So I think there's a part of it where it's just like, even if, even if he was romantic, it would have felt inappropriate for the way they were casting the show. And this is one of the one of the few times where I think they want to try and modernize the show a bit and have it be a little more, for lack of a better word, sexy. Uh, it is kind of funny they picked Christopher Eccleston to do that because Christopher because they frequently remark that Christopher Eccleston has just some interesting face shapes to him. It's I kind mean, of a big even nose and in big the ears. Show they remark about it. Sorry, that was what I meant. Okay, uh, I think you meant like people yeah no i mean people in the show uh like like in this one they talk about they they bring up that he's got a big nose well because he talks about how he can (laughs) he was following the scent i've got a nose for following and she's like do your ears have powers too i like though that he's completely oblivious to it and goes what is that supposed to mean (laughs) which uh, it is also a callback to the very first episode when he first sees his reflection goes oh look at the ears oh could have been worse look at the ears the sh- I think the show was sort of teetering before uh, where it didn't really know how it wanted the doctor's relationship to go. And I don't know if it was specifically Stephen Moffat's decision or Russell T. Davies' decision. You know, Russell T. Davies is the showrunner, but Stephen Moffat is a very, like, one of his limitations is that he really likes writing characters to be more sexual than might be appropriate at times. Uh, and we will see that when he is the showrunner, especially. Mm. Um I don't know if it's him being like, I'm going to be exciting or what it is exactly, but that it's one of his like isms as a writer. Could he just be kind of horny? 
That's the theory. The theory is that he's just kind of horny, or at least he's just kind of a hor- kind of horny as a writer. Fair. I've never heard anything appropriate, inappropriate about him on set beyond just like kind of being a dude. But we'll get, but again, we'll get to that when he's the showrunner, and I have more specific things to point to. Is this where you wanted to talk about the uh, Awuga time criminal? I mean, I still stand by my statement of Awuga time criminal. <laughs> he slept with his two executioners. That's hot. <laughs> So uh, I know you said you were kind of resistant to liking him because. Uh, I mean, he- I still am because I think it's funny. <laughs> but uh, I, I think Jack Harkness really adds an interesting spice to this like little crew because because Ro- Rose is definitely like feisty, but not in the same way that Jack is. They they are equal matches. I, I feel like the the captain is the exact midpoint between the doctor and Rose. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like a lot of the stuff that exists in the Venn diagram make it like if we're making a Venn diagram, of the two characters, Jack Harkness is that center circle. Because I do think that he is an intellectual equal to the doctor, particularly in the sense that he has a lot of the same toys and gadgetry Mm -hmm. and, you know, is cunning in the same way (laughs) and clever. But he is also, you know, a bit snarky and a little a little cheeky, which is more like Rose. And so I think that it is a very nice balance between the both of them. There also seems to be something where Rose sort of latches on to any man that pays her an iota of attention due to insecurity brought about by her father, Um, whereas... Jack seems to latch out, latch onto any man or man or woman that pays him attention because he's supremely confident in himself. Yeah, he's queer. Yeah, so, yeah which again, this is this is kind of what I meant when I said Russell Davies being a gay showrunner really let the really gave the show something special in 2005. Because that feels wild to me that Captain Jack Harkness is just like there. And he's into everything and he's a 51st century guy. Yeah. And his and his queerness is not the defining part of his character. That is not something that's like, oh, you're the bisexual manic pixie dreamboat. Like it's that's not the case whatsoever. He is above all else, a space criminal who happens to be. A little bit gay. I mean, you say that he does his sexuality does become a bigger trait for him. Yeah, but it's <laughs> you don't come in. He does not yeah. come onto the screen and is immediately letting everybody know. If he, I, here's here's what he's into fucking. Here's what I here's how I think. Uh, no, knowing what I know that you don't know yet, I feel like his main defining trait is sheer confidence. Uh, and so his bisexuality is not defining him as much as his defining trait also says that he is bisexual. <laughs> if that makes sense. He is defined by the fact that he is a confident man that can waltz into any room and get what he wants. Yeah, he's extremely charismatic. Yes, his his I don't know his yeah, char- charisma is he he uh Captain Jack rizzes up anyone he walks into. I get well, because I'm also thinking about we're I, I'm not disagreeing with that statement. That is a very 2023 statement to make. In 2005, if you had any queer characters, mm-hmm. they were stereotypically and outwardly gay, that it was hard to not acknowledge that, like, oh, they're. Yeah, where it's like every other sentence. Yeah, every other sentence from that character seems like it has to be. Like, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about. In the show Friends, Mm -hmm. there are two lesbian characters, and that is their only character traits, is that they are lesbians. Mm. They are, one of them is Ross's ex-wife, who is a lesbian, and that is literally all we ever get. Mm. That is their whole character. That is, those two women, that's it. They're the gay ones. (laughs) One of them got pregnant with Ross's child. So she's he's still the father. But, you know, he has the the son has two mommies like you don't get any other like character build up on 
from either of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean is Captain Jax's character is not, oh, he's the queer, he's the queer space criminal. It's Yeah, he's not just constantly reminding people that he's like, I'm into, I, I like can go if, for either one of you. If I was an oblivious straight person, mm-hmm. I would not watch the show and go, oh, yeah. he's one of them gays he's he's one of them gays i was gonna say something else but i was like i stopped myself he's one of them pansexuals yeah i i would not sit here and go ah i get it they're meeting a diversity quota by making this individual (laughs) into both whole all three holes so i guess i guess you were right there is still somebody that is pan in this episode it's just not peter pan you know what i'm usually like 75 percent right <laughs> you're usually sniffing in the direction of something right that's because of my big old nose <laughs> my ears have powers too <laughs> um but yeah it it truly is simply the fact that it's 2005 and his queerness is not his overarching like mm-hmm. thing which I, I will say he's my favorite because of that fact and that fact alone. And the space criminal thing is also very cool, too. Yeah. I also want to say this ep- this two-parter feels very different because it's the first one that takes place entirely at night. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Um, it certainly leans into the horror feeling of the story. Um, well, because um, the, the, the gas ghosts one also took place all at night. Oh, you're right. I still forgot about that. I need to rewind this entire thought then well because here's the thing that episode what was that number three that was episode three mm-hmm. so episode three yes does take place at night but they really go into the kitschy gimmicky lighting yeah way more than this one yeah this one lighting was not there to indicate to you that like something bad's gonna happen because everything is red now yeah lighting is used to emphasize the like uneasiness that's already there by making you know making the hallway extremely dark and Mm -hmm. when the lights flip on that's when the the zombie people rise out of their beds yeah the the light is way more a character well i I I take that back because it's the light's a different character in this one because the light in the first one were literal were made by literal gas ghosts so there's a part of it where it's like the light itself is fearsome because that is where the gelf live. Well, yeah, but it was also way more noticeable how... I don't want to use the word kitschy again. The the third episode, the lighting was way more noticeable. Yeah, even, even though it was set at night, there was not a lot of darkness in it. No. Like even the streets are very well lit. Uh, the insides of the houses, the interior of the theater, everything is very bright. Yeah. Uh, like there might be some, there's definitely some shadow to, to things because that's what light makes, but there's, it doesn't feel like a dark setting in the same way that this one does. Yeah, this one, you really do get the sense that you are in 1940s London during an air raid. Yeah. When they've had to shuttle the lights off so the airplanes can't see where they're going to bomb stuff. Uh, which also, I think the air raid was a very clever place to put it mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with you know, something just fell out of the sky. And when are people not going to notice something fell out of the sky when a bunch of stuff is falling out of the sky? Um, I thought that was a really I thought that was a really great setup. I also um, appreciate the fact that I, again, was not entirely wrong with my prophecies, because if you refer back uh-huh. To the uh, the cheeky nine eleven reference, I did say that that reference was going to be a World War Two reference. Now this wasn't so much a reference as it was an actual setting. Yeah. But I could feel it in the ether that a World War Two episode was was a coming. <laughs> now, granted, you thought that because the episode was called World War Three. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, but still. <laughs> but I will say this hey, is not. This hey, is not. Hey, let me have this. Uh, this is not the last World War II episode either. Uh, there's of quite... this season or the uh, of the ser- of the show. Okay. Um, obviously, well, I mean, World War II is kind of a big fucking deal, especially yeah. in Europe. Yeah, especially for Britain. So, <laughs> I think the thing that feels most uncomfortable about this episode is the number of adults that ha- that start saying, "Are you my mummy?" 
Oh my god, it's so funny though because you can really pick out of the crowd the ones that are emulating children and the ones that are going, "Are you my mummy?" Or Mister, you me mum. It it was very silly. I because I know I do this thing sometimes when I'm listening to musical soundtracks. Every so often there is one voice in a crowd I can pick out and that's mm-hmm. the only one I can hear. <laughs> a very prime example and it might ruin it for anybody who who investigates there hereafter. Uh the original Broadway recording of Phantom of the Opera in the song Masquerade there is one I want to say that she's like a mezzo soprano mm-hmm. but her voice is so distinct out of the crowd that anytime I'm listening I can pick her out <laughs> because while everybody else is you know everybody else's voices blend into the crowd hers somehow manages to stick super far out can you do an impersonation of the voice a little bit uh, I can actually so you know it goes masquerade mm-hmm. paper faces on parade hers is very distinctly masquerade <laughs> and it's masquerade yeah but it's it's not even the fact that it's the particular note that she's hitting that i can't really do because i'm not a professional singer the the only other thing that did bug me a little bit Mm -hmm. is the fact that the doctor's dance felt a little bit like the frutter walk-in in the tim burton alice in wonderland in what way because the entirety of that movie is them talking about how the mad hatter has this wonderful dance and he hasn't danced in so long and oh man like his his moves would would move mountains or whatever it is that they say and it's talked up the entire movie until the very end when he does it and it's just a little bit off-putting and weird and feels a little bit out of place and i felt a little bit the same way about this where the doctor's like i can dance i'm 900 years old i've picked up some moves i can dance but then he starts dancing and it's not very good and then he changes the song and starts doing the charleston and it's like oh see i do remember some stuff but it's still kind of crappy yeah and i don't i think that might have been bad editing because he's snapping off beat I've just remembered. What? I can dance. I can dance. And so that doesn't help. So I imagine that whatever was playing on set either wasn't the same song or it was not playing at the same like time they had been playing Regardless, it. Regardless, <laughs> even the like smoothness of the moves was not there. Yeah. It, uh... it, it is not. He's... It is very clear that the Doctor and, by further extension, Christopher Eccleston are not dancers. They're, they're, they're at the very least, they're a little rusty. Which, to be fair, the Doctor is a little rusty. Well, yeah, but when you're talking a big game about being 900 years old and having picked up a couple moves along the way, and that's what you whip out? Uh-uh. You just learned that you looked up a video. It is kind of funny that we were talking so much about how it feels weird that they might be trying to lean into something romantic for the Doctor and Rose in this episode. And then because Christopher Eccleston is not a great dancer, it still kind of feels like a daddy-daughter dance. Oh, yeah. But definitely, definitely. Because they're both kind of awkward. Even Rose isn't that good. Which... You know, which is funny because she was a pop singer. I forgot about that. That's yeah. kind of amazing. Billy, uh, Billy Piper was a pop singer before she had this role. And I will say, though, that for uh, for a pop singer turned actress, she's really solid in this role. Oh, yeah. Like it's like in a way that I if if I had been told that before I had watched the show, I don't know that I would have expected it from her. But uh, overall, how'd you feel about this two parter? I liked it. You liked it? Yeah, this is uh, easily my favorite uh, story that we've had so far. I don't know if you feel the same way. Not particularly, but I also, I have not really fallen in love with the show yet. Fair. So I I like this just as much as I liked the third episode and, and not Yorick. Dalek. Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Father's Day is up there, too, or is that... Uh... Eh, eh, no. No? The th- no, it, it struck a few too many chords for me. I didn't... I didn't... It hit a little too hard, that one. Yeah! All right, so well, at least at the very least, we know 
your top three, I suppose. Um, I guess. Not in any particular order. It was just a funny thing. But that is all we have for now. Uh, next time we'll be back with episode nine of the podcast, episode 11 of the season, uh, Boomtown. Hmm. <laughs> what was that face? I smell Manhattan Project. <laughs> Well, we will find out if it's the Manhattan Project next time on Who Is My Doctor? Hey, Zach, um, who is my doctor? Who is indeed? Goodbye. Goodbye. Are you my audience? Audience. Nah, this doesn't have the same ring to it. Either way, it is 2 a.m. as I finish making this episode, so let's get through all the important things. Share us with your friends. Give us all the good ratings. Please don't throw assorted vegetables at me. You can follow us on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, and threads at WimdyPod. That's W-I-M-D-P-O-D. Next week's Boomtown. Tuesdays are now Whose Days. Good night!